Good day and welcome to Blowing Cartridges, the gaming podcast where we dive into the issues surrounding gaming culture and the games themselves. I'm Brendan Tam and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host Zach Clark. So Zach, every time you enter a room, if you were to choose a song that would play as you enter that room, what would that song be and why would that be that song that you'd choose? Mm, That's a good question. It might just be taking a cue from the Penny Arcade guys whenever they walk out on stage and have every day I'm hustling just uh, just play as I enter the room. <laughs> I think that's, uh, yeah, it feels good. <laughs> um, oh, well, we know you've always been a hustler, Zach. And yeah. <laughs> uh, if, if people are wondering why I ask such an odd question, it's because today, uh, as we did last year around this time, we're going to dive in and do an episode on video game music because this is a topic that's always very close to our hearts, and I think we'd both argue that it's fundamentally very close to game design and games themselves. And when you're playing a game, you'll generally notice when there is a particularly strong score and when there's particularly memorable music. And there'll always be tunes and ditties and melodies that really stick with you, and you might whistle along to them in the shower or when you're commuting to work or wherever you are in life, you might just get a tune stuck in your head. I know it's always happened to me. And I think that's why we're trying to keep on coming back to this broader topic because we think it's a really important one. And we're lucky enough to be bringing back a, the guest we had last year during our video game music episode in John. And I think, John, you have the pleasure, correct me if I'm wrong, Zach, but I think you're the first returning guest to Blowing Cartridges. So congratulations on this very rare honour, I'm sure, that I'm sure Zach will agree <laughs> that it is a rare honour, isn't it? It is, it is, yes. Thank you, thank you. I'm, I'm honoured. Um, yeah, thanks for, for having me back. It's uh, been a wild year. Uh, a lot of good games coming out and uh, a, lot of, a lot of good music to, to listen to as well. So, uh, keen to get stuck into it. If we go back to the joking question I asked Zach at the very start of uh, this episode, is that one of the things that... I guess when we think about gaming music as a whole uh, and the different tropes and the different types of music and games, you'll have battle themes in a lot of RPGs and even FPSs when there's a lot of combat, there'll be a particular type of music that's played during those scenes to try to heighten the tension or try to evoke a particular feeling. But every time you put a cartridge into your console or put a disc into your console or if it's a digital game, you go to your launcher like Steam or the like <laughs> and you click play and you enter that game there's generally you, you're greeted with music and often it's an epic piece of music often it's a piece of music that really tries to encapsulate the spirit and the emotions of the particular game like if it's an arcade game it'll probably be something upbeat and a bit catchy and if it's a more story-based game or if it's a game that's trying to convey epic tones it might be a bit more ominous and a it might build up and it might be a, a more extended piece of music. And so, and we're talking about title music here or title themes and especially big blockbuster games, but even indie games, all games will generally try to have that one piece that if you're talking to a fellow gamers about that game and you're talking about the music of the game, you'll often note that, that particular song or that particular melody that you're encountering when you start the game. And I guess just to kick discussions off, to go to you, John, what, what is title music for you? What what do you think makes good and memorable title music? So to me, there's sort of two main types of title music that, are, that stick in my head. 
but both sort of set up the same thing and it's uh, like you sort of mentioning uh Tam is is it wants to make a good first impression it's going to be the first uh piece of music it's really going to be one of the first ways that you're interacting with a game is is it's title music and so a uh, good piece of title music leaves an impression whether that's by pure impact or by pure earworminess it's going to get in your head and it's going to set the tone for the kind of experience you're about to have. How about yourself, Zach? What, what do you think when you think... What evo- what what imagery evokes in your mind when you think about title music? Uh, well, this is going to sound really obvious, but typically the game's title <laughs> comes to mind. Um, probably because it's often paired at the start of the game when you are first... Uh, given the logo uh, and the menu of a game. Um, but also, as you, as you sort of touched on at the start, Tam, it's really about uh, setting the vibe of said game. And even if the song doesn't necessarily repeat in the rest of the game, which um, we might talk about in a second, but it, it can be a bit of a mixed bag, whether it's just used at the, at the title or whether it's going to recur throughout uh, the game in some fashion as you play it uh i you know it, it tends to be one of the more iconic pieces uh of music for whatever the game is and it's probably one of the more popular ones because i mean you know how many people beat games these days it's probably something like you know five ten even at best 20 percent of players actually finish a game uh that that purchase it but you know probably close to 80 or 90 percent who at least start it um who aren't like us and keep plastic cases on the shelf that we haven't touched (laughs) um have at least heard those title themes uh so it's it's often one of the songs that it's easiest to sort of have a, a discussion about or have people get excited by if you're at like a concert or you know, something like that, or, um, you know, like a video game music trivia sort of night, uh, versus something that maybe plays, uh, later in the game, which only a handful of players may have actually, you know, heard ever. Uh, so it, it, you know, it's such an important piece of music for any game in my mind, uh, to get right when you're giving people that first impression. Just to sort of jump onto that as well. I find that when I want to recommend music of a game to you know someone who may not have played through the game yet, uh, a title theme is a good place to start. Uh, you know, I can try and chuck them the credits music, and the credits music could be great, but I'm just like too scared of spoiling the experience for them if they mm-hmm. hadn't you know gone through the game and listened to it first. And I definitely agree with you because I'm sure we'll come back maybe in a future episode about credit music, but I feel like credit music really is geared towards evoking different emotions like often i find good credit music really it i guess it it helps encapsulate the journey you've just been on in that game it really brings back memories of what you've experienced and sometimes it can be a bit bittersweet sometimes it can it can evoke joy and happiness that you finish the experience and whereas i think title music very much is inviting you into the game is very much in some cases, getting you excited for the game. In other cases, might get, make you a bit more interested or intrigued as to what the game is about and what the journey you're about to embark on is going to entail. So I think I think you're right, Johnny, that I think if you're going to try to 
grip someone with the soundtrack of a game and say, oh, play this game. It has really good music. That title theme is going to be the hook there. And I don't know if this is uh, necessarily spoiling any of your picks or anything, but look at how music started out in video games as well. And there's a big focus on uh, the title music, even if it's just like a little jingle in the arcades. And the sort of the mid seventies, you've got stuff like Pac Man and Donkey Kong coming out uh, a bit later. That the in game music, if at all, is just very simple. But they've they've put all of their um, of their composing and and uh, coding skills into usually sampling some uh, free to use classical music or something to try and catch people's attention and try and get people to spend quarters on their machines. And I think you sort of, that sort of sentimentality does carry through a little bit through, uh, through the entire medium, even to this day. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. And it's really interesting when you look at, uh, and again, that uh, we might touch on other people's picks uh, for, for those who don't know, we don't know what songs uh, we've all picked when we covered that we're about to present to each other. So, do apologize to my co-hosts if I do touch on some of their picks. Uh, but yeah, it's really interesting when you look at the long running video game franchise to see how they implement their, their, let's call it their first title music, right? You know, the one that played for their first game in a series. Um, like, you know, some franchises would use the same title music, you know, in some fashion, every single game, um, or bring it back, certainly at least for the opening um, of each of each you know game. Uh, I think something like Halo, for example, that iconic Halo theme, which is amazing, um, uh, certainly featured pretty heavily at the start of you know Halo One, Two, and Three. From from my recollection, I'm not as familiar with the ones afterwards, but I wouldn't be shocked if they all had it. Versus something like say a Mario Brothers, which typically you yes you'll hear the original Mario Brothers song somewhere in most games, um, but isn't but most of the sequels have created a brand new title theme uh, for themselves uh, that ends up becoming its own sort of iconic piece. So it's it's really fascinating to see the different approaches to that music um, for series that have, you know, expanded beyond one game and lasted, uh, you know, decades at this point. I fully agree, Zach. And I think we're, to stop beating around the bush, I think we may as well really dive into it and pick the songs that we've all brought together today and uh, start listening to them and discussing them. And I think just to go over for our listeners what what the approach is going to be for this episode, we've, we've all picked three songs. One is going to be a track from 2021 and the rest of them can be from however far back through the gaming lexicon we chose to go. Uh, I know personally I haven't gone that far back though I, since we don't know what each track we're all bringing we have um we do have contingency tracks so we will all have three unique tracks there so uh don't worry listeners you are going to be shortchanged in that regard to kick off I'll, i think we'll give the honor to our guest john so john do you want to tell us what track you chose from 2021 actually do we want to listen to it first and then we can say what it is how do we want to i can sure i think i, I think listening to it first might might uh, work well because that way the listeners can uh See if they can pick out what it is. All right, we'll, we'll listen to the song first and then we can discuss it. So, hit in play now.
Alright, so this is the uh, title screen to uh, WarriorWare Get It Together, uh, which came up for the Nintendo Switch late this year. Uh, I don't have the specific composer for this because it was like eight separate composers for the game and I don't think any of them were personally attributed to specific songs. But I'm a so I'm a big WarioWare fan. Uh, I've, I've been playing this series since it was uh, first uh, created in the early 2000s and it's been a while uh, since we've had a f big like, full length new brand new WarioWare game. For my money, the last time was really WarioWare Smooth Moves for the Wii. We've sort of had games since then, but they were usually like compilations or DIY exists, but it only has half the content of a regular WarioWare. But um, what this track means to me is sort of the return of, of, a, of a long dormant franchise. And I think it achieves this by really leaning into what makes WarioWare engaging for me, which is just complete and unending stupidity. Uh, <laughs> the song itself, yeah. it's, it's got a really catchy beat to it, um, though it's very noisy and it's very busy. Uh, it doesn't want you to sort of settle into one uh, instrument or listen into one thing for too long, which really fits the uh, series as a whole, because you know, the games only last for five or so seconds. And sort of harkening back to the, those arcade days of old, this is just a, a title that makes you go, play me. This is what you're going to get. I'm setting the stage right here. Play me. I haven't played the game and I honestly haven't really played any WarioWare games. And my main exposure is from Super Smash Bros. when there's WarioWare stages with the music. But I, I definitely get that sense it's really in your face it's very loud it's very proud about being loud and uh, i definitely do love how nintendo composed tracks in particular aren't afraid to use that sort of those, those sort of nonsensical vocal sounds sort of it's not not in any decipherable language but it's it, it's a main instrument I, I always find that quite enjoyable personally it invokes a lot of fun Fun fact about the the sort of hum vocal track in this one specifically, I don't remember which, but it's definitely appeared uh, as a sample in WarioWare in the past, and I'm pretty sure a couple of the other instruments they've ripped from, um, I think, WarioWare DIY. Yeah, so, one, so once again, it's sort of Nintendo looking back into what they've got and reusing parts of it, but spinning it in a new way in this sort of like funky synth uh, theme it's sort of heralds a, a, a return to form but also a new direction for the series uh, well you're our resident warrior fan Zach what, what are your thoughts yeah I mean I, like you John uh, I love WarioWare and the music is also fantastic and yeah I think what this theme as well as this generally the WarioWare themes have always done is I uh, just the randomness of them in a way that is like it could just feel like they've matched a bunch of random sounds together but it just works uh, and synergizes in a way that still conveys the sense of like just absurdity that this series uh presents to you as a game and i think that's really conveyed well in this uh, in this title theme uh, and and really uh sets the tone for sure because 
if you've never played a WarioWare uh, game before and you hear this and you see this the sort of colorful crazy animations on that title screen and you might not know exactly what you're in for but you get the vibe it's going to be a wacky good time you know and I have to say this the rest of this game soundtrack is definitely worth a listen as well uh, you know there was before we decided we were doing title themes if we we're doing more general themes there was there's a particular song in here I was <laughs> I would have been hard-pressed not to have bring uh, brought um, Right, but it's also certainly one I think uh, you're best finding out by playing the game and experiencing uh, naturally, I suppose, um, before finding it online. I'm sure John can think of which one I'm, I'm talking I about. I think I know which one you're talking <laughs> about. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's a very good one. Yeah, and I mean, even in the past games, they've always had a really good, not only good uh, opening tracks, they, they often have a good vocal track or two in there, which are always some of the highlights. So... Uh, it's worth not only with get, get It Together, but some of the past games going back and giving them a play and listening to their soundtracks. Um, very short games as well, which is great. I mean, you could almost, uh, like playing through all of Get It Together is probably not too much longer than listening to a full album of music or maybe a bit longer. Um, but yeah, very digestible experience compared to, again, like a 70-hour RPG to get to the uh, end credits music. <laughs> yeah, I was worried it was going to be... Uh... I I was after some of the other experiences I've had where recently I was worried it was going to be a bit too short, but it, it, in the end the game did feel like it was a nice. It was, it was the perfect length for what it wanted to do without getting too out of hand. I think you could almost call them micro games. <laughs> <laughs> that you would. Uh, the music to the micro games as well is I feel is is pretty underrated. Um, they're very short little snippets and i think there's definitely a, a bit of an art into constructing a piece of music that's only going to be five seconds long that you're going to be hearing at different pitches speeds over and over and over and you know, when you really get into the warrior wear um and you're you know reaching for a high score and you're, you're playing the same games over and over uh, they really add a sense of rhythm to the experience that i find really uh, important to the the overall uh, gameplay it's 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 a little thing but it, they add up completely yeah it's it's kind of wild like some of those micro game songs in the game you probably only hear them for a few seconds but if you go to like a youtube and listen to a rip of them like they they're actually like sometimes fully fleshed out minute long songs um it's very impressive how much effort they went for what could have just been like a literally 10 second jingle if they wanted to but they like no we'll, we'll go the whole way <laughs> and make a proper composition um most of the time which is really really impressive even if said composition is mostly just armpit noises but <laughs> yeah <laughs> it um, wouldn't be a warrior game otherwise no and I mean, it's also a good point because it, it's a uniquely it's the kind of music you're not going to hear many other places because of that humor they try to go for it it's it's so specifically video gaming in a way that I, I think um, makes it a perfect choice for something like this. Yeah, and, and even within the gaming sphere, something that's this sort of uh, arcade-driven, you know, it's really you're just going for high scores when it, when you get down to it. Uh, coming from such a big publisher is, is also a pretty rare sight these days. So it, 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 it makes it feel a bit refreshing, I feel. All right, Zach, moving on to your fir- or your 2021 pick. Shall we hit play on it and give it a listen? 
so yeah, my pick from uh, local, uh, or by local I mean Queensland studio, uh, which beam? Uh, is the unpacking title theme composed by Jeff Van Dyke. Um, unpacking, I mean, if you haven't uh, heard of it, it's uh, you probably potentially, if you're on Twitter and other social media, seen a lot of memes around the time it came out uh, and GIFs. Uh, it, it's, it's literally a game about unpacking boxes as you move houses uh, through the life of a of originally a young girl through, you know, to her adult years. Uh, and it's just a cute, simple, uh, very stress-free puzzle game is how I'd describe it. And this title theme, I think, conveys that in spades. Uh, I think it, 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 you know, gives me the vibe of uh, it's a lovely spring or, you know, sort of summery uh, day. I've got the windows open. I'm in a, in a relatively empty house with a bunch of cardboard boxes and I'm about to um, figure out where the hell I'm going to put everything and and it just sort of gives me that tranquil sort of vibe um, uh, which is I'm sure what it's going for uh, I think it's fantastic use of sort of modern uh, synth and chiptunes uh, and again really sort of evoking the fact that it is a uh, a video game and uses a, a modern sort of pixelated art style as well which really gels well with the soundtrack and I think it's a really good taste of what the rest of the soundtrack has to offer, which um, despite again being a fairly short game, and maybe clocking in around two hours, has a, a fairly varied soundtrack uh, in some respects, um, while still using similar sort of tones, uh, sort of maybe yeah, going a bit more upbeat and sometimes a bit more somber to really represent, I guess, the mood of the of the, the main character at that particular point in time. And again, I certainly recommend everyone not only play Unpacking, uh, but once you've played it, go back and uh, listen to the uh, the full soundtrack on, on YouTube or something, because it's, um, it's a treat. So I've played Unpacking at uh, PAX before. It's, it's been a perennial PAX Oz, uh in the uh, pre-COVID times. Um, I haven't gotten around to playing it yet, mostly because I was moving when it came <laughs> out, and I really didn't feel like playing a game about moving whilst I was moving myself, but it is uh, like number one on my playlist. It's, it's uh, going to get it over the Christmas break. But if I remember correctly, with Unpacking, do you ever end up Sorry if this is spoilers, but do you ever end up seeing the girl, like the character that you're unpacking? Uh, not really, that's what I'll say. Yeah, I mean, you, you figure out what they're like, who they are, uh, as you journey through it. So it's like, not like it's, it's not you. It's not, you're not playing as yourself, put it that way. Um, yeah, you, you don't get a strong look at them beyond maybe some, some photos and some glimpses, if that makes sense. Um throughout the game so because of that how important do you think music is in this game to sort of setting up your understanding for the character yeah i think it's massive and it comes back to sort of what i was saying before about it conveying her emotions uh because uh, you don't see her there's some text when you beat a level where she'll write a little comment in her a diary i suppose um about the move uh, and the, what, what it sort of represents but broadly it's it's just you know 
learning the story through a the objects and the rooms that you're sort of encountering in the process but b again that music you know it's there's you know a, a particular move that's quite clearly a sad move um as to why she had to move uh and that music is very you know somber and like up oh, you know this is happening uh another move is very uh, joyful very happy um sort of represents like a new sort of start to to adult life in a respect and it's very upbeat and perky um you know and it can also reflect the people she's living with you know at various points she's living with whether it's roommates um romantic partners family etc um there i guess even their personality gets a bit reflected in the uh the music or the what i can only assume is meant to be their personality because again you you don't see any of these characters you just see their their stuff and their houses uh, and then this music is the the third piece of the 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 puzzle to get you a sense of of who you're dealing with yeah, I haven't played the game myself. It's definitely on my radar, but you definitely hear that sense of emotion even from the title screen that you can you can get you get this feeling that it is going to have those moments of emotion during the game and uh well, I think we can all acknowledge that moving houses is generally quite an emotional char- it can be quite an emotional charge experience. So I think definitely sounds like a game that is able to capture that feeling and that spirit which I I find quite compelling, actually, from a conceptual point of view. So, going to have to definitely bump it up my backlog, as I, I often say on this podcast, as you know, Zach. That <laughs> yeah, no. Again, luckily it's a short one, so you can probably knock it out in an afternoon. Uh, and again, I don't want to spoil anything, but what I'll say is, uh, some games uh, obviously use music as a reward uh, for getting to the end, uh, and this is one of them, uh, is what I would say. It's it recognizes the value of uh, its its songs, and um, yeah, when you get to that end, you'll be I think pleasantly delighted with what they present at, at uh, I guess the credits theme, um, which uh, you know maybe I'll bring whenever we do a credits theme episode. <laughs> yeah, you're making me more and more eager. I'm glad that's that's <laughs> what I want. Hopefully, everyone listening is is uh, looking to give it a shot because uh, for me, it's definitely a a highlight. Um, just any game uh, that I played in 2021, but it's a benefit that it's uh, Australian. Uh, not you know, no no favoritism. It's just um, always nice to see an Aussie indie uh, have some success. Also, can I just say that Witch Beam is one of the best names for a studio I've ever heard. Yeah, it's fantastic. And um, their other game, uh, Assault Android Cactus, very different, um, but also very good uh most of them are ex sega developers interestingly enough um and you might also recall a well last year there was the uh, co- uh controversy i'll use that word maybe not so much but the interesting twitter thread from um tim dawson who about the uh golden axe and un- whatever prototype uh that sega released as part of their anniversary um these guys are the ones that did that when they were in sega and he was one of the you know head developers on unpacking so um yeah they've they've yeah had some interesting <laughs> uh, experiences to say the least but anyway uh brendan uh why don't you show us your 2021 title theme of choice all right let's roll that jukebox
Well, what you all just listened to was the main theme of Age of Empires 4, which released in October this year. And uh, John, well, as John discussed for his track for WarriorWare, it's by a few different composers. I, I don't know who exactly composed the title theme, so I'll include all the composers from the game in the show notes so they can be checked out and acknowledged. But I really enjoyed this track for a number of reasons, because I think... Well, to start off with, it's very much evoking the music of Age of Empires 2. There's that, there's that classic Age of Empires 2 theme referenced in the composition, but it's much more than that. It's a, it's a full three-minute piece of music. It doesn't loop at all. It's it's building up throughout the entire track. It's a it's a full piece of composition, and it's it's really well crafted. It it starts, it, it has that great build up. You get to that Gregorian chant section. There's more chanting at the very end. There's some really odd instruments towards the back end of the song that's very much <laughs> evoking the different civilizations and cultures that are evoked in Age of Empires 4. And I think it does a great job at encapsulating what the game is about and just the epic scale of the idea that it's a, it's a clash of civilizations as a whole. It's You're playing different civilizations and you're fighting for total domination in in a campaign online in battles against friends or against randoms on the internet it, it, it's about that it, it's very much a game about clashing between titans clashing between entities and it, it really captures that epic scale of what the game offers in that music track and i, I just love it really it's it, it's everything i hope for because as listeners of this podcast probably know and zach and john know as well that i'm a huge diehard Age of Empires fan. I brought an Age of Empires 2 track last year when we did the music episode and it's always been close to my heart and I definitely recommend listening to the music of Age of Empires 4. I think there's probably not as many memorable tracks as Age of Empires 2 had, particularly sort of during maps and that sort of thing, but I think the, the theme song itself is a lot stronger. I like how... The theme essentially has that, that iconic Adrian Vice 2 motif perpetually running throughout it. But the, like you were saying, the way they toy with it, it, it doesn't feel like it's the exact same. It never feels like they're doing the exact same thing twice. It kept me engaged via its variations by, by mixing everything up uh, throughout the entire piece, which, you know, for something that's three minutes or so is, is, is pretty substantial and, and I was sort of surprised at how well uh, they managed to, to sort of fit that in and, and keep iterating upon it. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is a really good example of how to reuse your original um, or an earlier title theme from your series, I think, um, without just doing it again, if that makes sense. Um, you know, it, it puts a unique spin on that uh, AOE2 theme um that evokes the right sense of nostalgia while also just being a completely like it stands on its own two feet right like you you know you can listen to the original and this and you're not gonna like have to say oh one's better than the other they're both just good for different reasons uh i mean it's really interesting to look at the um i don't know if either of you scrolled down and read the youtube comments but there are so many of uh people referencing like playing Age of Empires 2 with their dad or their, you know, parent, 
I was just as a kid in general, and then how they're like, this is now like the Age of Empires song of my child's like life because I'm going to play this game with my kid kind of thing um, and that kind of stuff. So it's really, I think, does a good job of um, uh, clearly satisfying the old fans but also presenting something new and fresh. And it just uh, it sounds as... It, it, it perfectly encapsulates the grand scale of what Age of Empires, you know, is representing, which are these massive battles of, of you know, nations or empires to call out the obvious. Um, and it does, just does it perfectly, I reckon, having only just heard it for the first time then. I feel like those comments have filled me with a strange power of, I can, you know, if I, if I ever have kids... What games am I recommending them? Um, it's it's <laughs> that's that's tangent that uh that, that I I don't, I don't want to think about it anytime soon. I don't think, but that's a curious train of thought. Mm. Well, it, it does remind me. Um, as an aside, I went to a mate's house a couple of weeks ago, and uh, a group of us went there. It was pretty late, but uh, his dad was in his office playing on the computer, and sort of I could hear that it was Age of Empires two, and I just uh, I just love that idea that. It was like 11 p.m. at night, and uh, he he was just playing AOE too. I think it, it just encapsulates what that game means to so many people. And I think I I don't know if Age of Empires four will take off to that degree because I know a lot of the diehard Age of Empires two fans are surprise surprise still playing Age of Empires two after all these decades. But I, I do hope that it builds its own loyal fan base because it does stand on its own in many respects. I'm sure you all might have covered this in another episode. Sorry if you have, but um, do you all think that uh, hearing about the the pull and 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 the weight that Age of Empires two has, uh, both in everyone's minds, sort of reflected through this music as well? Do you think that it's possible to? release a game that has that same gravity that people are playing 20 or so years later now that we're in a uh, an era of such game oversaturation do you think it's still possible to for that to occur i think it's very difficult because i think we faced the same proposition when uh starcraft 2 came out and a lot of people thought oh is this going to dethrone the original starcraft because wings of liberty was a very well-received game and at the time, there was a lot of people jumping on it. There's all the tournaments in South Korea it got quite big. But if you look back from 2021, there's still plenty of people playing the original StarCraft. It's not like everyone has merged the StarCraft 2. And I'm sure there's still people playing StarCraft 2, but you don't necessarily hear about it as much as the original StarCraft before StarCraft 2 came out. So I think it is very difficult to... When there's a game that dominates people's imaginations for so long and really gets them to stick to it, I think it's very hard to supplant that. I think you see it with all Smash Melee's and is a key yeah, for Nintendo mm. fans. There's always going to be something that keeps a core group going back. So I think it's about sort of carving out its own audience and its own niche. While you're probably going to drag some of those people that were fans of the, I guess the source material to the new game but it's not going to be sort of a hundred percent conversion rate would be my take yeah i think we're at an interesting point where for a franchise that has not stayed consistently popular like you know i'd say age of empires didn't because three i think maybe was a bit of a dip for a lot of people i think you almost have to find yourself 
or not like the developers need to find a way of getting the perfect mix of reinventing the franchise while keeping enough of the core elements that original fans love to be able to get to the same level that it once was. Uh, I mean, I look at, I mean, at two series, I can sort of compare which one I think is successfully done and another I think hasn't quite got there yet is, um, but has come close would be say Zelda and Halo. Whereas I think Zelda, how it sort of became another big iconic game with Breath of the Wild was sort of reinventing Zelda again while keeping enough of its sort of core elements that the fans love. And I think that's how that game sort of then is now up there with Ocarina of Time and A Link to the Past is like those tentpole, big zeitgeist, uh, amazing games in that franchise. And then I look at something like, say, Halo, where I think since Halo 3, it's struggled to be that cultural zeitgeist it once was with the massive midnight launch lines and all that kind of stuff that we used to see up until now with Infinite. And I think Infinite's probably the closest they've gotten, largely because it has tried to break into new territory and do some some sort of fun, interesting stuff that helped reinvent the franchise while keeping, again, the, the warthogs and the the all that kind of stuff that we, we are used to as old school Halo fans. It is in uh, retrospect, it might be a bit of nearsighted to uh, release a game with the tagline "Finish the fight," uh, and then <laughs> yeah. expect to uh, get, and then uh, you release another game, and everyone goes, "We, we just finished it. What, what are you talking about? Yeah, what do you mean?" <laughs> Doesn't help if the game itself is a bit of a dip, anyway. Well, actually, no, Reach was fine. It's probably fallen. Yeah, four and five for the. Rich is probably one of my favorites, actually. Got a lot of fun memories there. But yeah, and I think tying that all back in, uh, I think you, you can sort of hear a bit of that in the main theme for, for Age of Empires 4. Um, it very much wants to try and remind people of the good that comes from the series. Uh, and I, th- I think it's almost like a bit of a pitch going, hey, this is a return to form. So we're going to call back to the the beloved one to sort of real put your expectations into the good that this franchise has had and the good memories that you have with this franchise and that's where we want you to be when you start playing this game that's i guess the sort of the take i can get from that i don't know does that make sense yeah no it does again there's someone who hasn't played it it makes sense sometimes (laughs) it sounds like brendan agrees and he's played it so well it does because i think you get that, not to go on too long about this song, even though I really love it and I love the topic, but from a gameplay mechanic perspective, using that motif does tie into the expectations of what the game is because it is very similar to Age of Empires 2 from a gameplay perspective. It very much feels like an iteration of Age of Empires 2. It feels like it's it builds upon a lot of the core mechanics that game offers and it, it tries to refine a lot of things that they probably didn't think about 20 years ago when they first developed the original game so it it's a it's a weird phenomenon where there's many parts of the game that you got while you're playing you're like oh this is very similar you build houses the resources are exactly the same in some ways the units act very similar but there's also a lot of differences as well and there's a lot more there's bigger attempt to make each civilization each empire different to each other um, some argue that those are sort of superficial 
surface level changes but others say i reckon it's it adds another dimension so there very much is that spirit there in age of empires 4 so going on to your second pick john so this can be a song from anywhere in the gaming lexicon history so what did you decide to bring for us tonight Ooh, now here's the interesting thing so i've got two title themes with very different vibes so I think I'm going to go with the one that has the least similar vibes to Age of Empires to sort of mix things up, and uh, we'll see if uh, the other one gets taken by the time it's my turn again. <laughs> title theme to the game Terraria. Um, this was composed by Scott Lloyd Shelley. Terraria is a game that's very close to my heart. You might notice a running theme of these, uh, these, these games. They're all, they're all, they're all uh, games I, th- I think very fondly of. Um, and growing up, my computer setup wasn't amazing. Um, and I don't know if y'all have played Terraria uh, back oh, around 2015-16 I fixed it, but uh, prior to proper Steam integration, uh, you had to use port forwarding and stuff in order to connect to other people's uh, servers with Terraria, mm-hmm. and I used to have a lot of server problems. So I've heard this music a lot whilst trying to desperately connect to people's uh, servers online, and, and just the, the way that the the, the sort of bass melody is really calming. Uh, it really helps soothe my uh, my uh, IT rage at, at trying to get Hamachian and stuff to work. Uh, but what I like the most about this is that compared to my first pick, it's way more subdued. But it's something that you can I can just listen to over and over and over, um, which I think works very well for a, a track that uh, this plays on the quote-unquote title screen but also most of the main menuing basically until you get into the game but it has a lot of variety to it in these random noises and, and instruments and like, almost like a slasher movie-esque strings that just sort of they're, they're sort of placed throughout the the song 
that help keep you on edge, and I think that also helps uh, tie into the sort of the themes of, of Terraria, where the music is often quite pleasant, and, and the world is often quite pleasant until it decides it wants you dead, and everything tries to kill you, and it's terrifying. And so that, that sort of mix of like, you know, nice, calm, play at your own pace with a little unease and horror tinge, I think, really fits the game well. Yeah, I mean, I have played a lot of Terraria, uh, and I did play in those port forwarding days. <laughs> and so similarly, I have heard this a lot as well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a really... I don't know how to put it. It's almost like a like the faint tease and, uh, and the mystery that the Terraria world, I guess, uh, holds for those who have yet to explore it. It sort of alludes to that. It's kind of like, ooh, you know, like... You can tell you're going to go through a grand adventure through like dark, you know, dungeons and that kind of stuff and encounter some pretty, um, pretty fascinating monsters and, and boss fights to say the least if you ever do get to play Terraria. And I think this is a perfect sort of setup for that. And I mean, it goes so well with the rest of the soundtrack. I mean, um, the Terraria, like, day music that you first hear when you actually get uh, your port forwarding done and, and you start your character loads into the game uh, it's got to be one of my favorite tracks of just video games in general and even now i can just hear it as well as like the sound of my character getting hit by like an eyeball or something um or an enemy of some kind like the oh like sound like so clearly just after hearing that uh that title theme so yeah it's a really um really really solid pick Oh, I definitely agree, because I don't think I have as much experience with Terraria as you guys. I've played a few sessions along the years with some friends, but it, it definitely it evokes the mystery of the game. It invokes about how the game's about exploration, there's, and it's a simple piece. Well, I wouldn't say it's a simple piece, because I agree with John. There's a lot, lot of different things going on there, instrumental-wise, and the different motifs and the illusions it's making, but I think it... It shows a lot of depth at the same time. I, I, I enjoy it. I think it's it's a great track. Great great pick, John. Thank you. Bit of bookkeeping as well. Uh, I am aware that this is currently not the uh, main title screen. It's it, it sort of uh, been replaced with the Journey's End update of last year. Uh, I believe you can still get it running but this is to me this is always the title screen of terraria and and the the new one is also very good it very much feels like uh a modern terraria track with uh, a lot uh sort of stronger uh use of of sort of its regular synths and the like but it doesn't it, it lacks the simplicity and 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 just the the calmness of this track and i, I think it did lose it's a fantastic song i did think it did lose something in, in adding complexity yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a few Terraria fans who might argue that was the theme of all the updates to an extent, not just the music. Um, though personally, I do enjoy the extra stuff they added. Certainly gave me a good reason to jump back in it. I think me and some friends last year jumped back in after a good while of not having played it, and that was that was a ton of fun. But yeah, it's it's also very different to like, um, I mean it's hard to not make the comparison, but say a Minecraft uh, in terms of its approach to music, because it's a bit more blatant about its music, whereas Minecraft is much more subtle, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's impressive because the fact that it's so blatant yet doesn't grind your gears, given you can spend literally 
hours on end in Terraria's world, just again exploring, um, is is really a testament to how well the uh, the composers, you know, understood the brief of making music you want to listen to over and over and over again. I think it manages to be effective doing that. Once again, going back to that, the simple melodies that it, it, it that the overworld tracks sort of try to to use. It definitely gets when you know when you get to boss themes and, and other sort of music that you're not necessarily uh, going to be listening to for long periods at a time. It definitely starts flexing its muscles, but yeah, it, it sort of focuses on making music that's easy to listen to and pleasant to listen to for long periods of time. And that's sort of interesting to see when it it sort of restrains itself for that purpose and when it, it starts to go a bit more ham. Alrighty, do you want me to? Jump into my next one. Yep, Zach, hit that button and show us what you've brought. I might uh, do this one in a little bit of reverse. Without, uh, I'm not going to say what the song is yet, but I will just give a bit of a preamble. I think all three of my songs are going to. There's going to be a bit of like a, a common link, or at least the last one I do will, will link back to this one and, and the previous one in in some ways. Um, but this song is one from one of my favourite uh, composers, and I think an industry. Uh, legend in uh, Kazumi Totaka. He's a uh, famous Nintendo composer. Probably some of his biggest, you know, title themes that people will know him for is obviously Wii Sports. I think that's his probably most famous title theme and as an absolute, you know, legendary title theme. And then obviously Luigi's Mansion, the original, is another fantastic title theme. He has done Animal Crossing title themes uh, for most of the series as well. Uh, I've all just amazing. The one I'm going to bring, I feel, is maybe a little less known to an extent and probably not as highly rated as his other title themes, but I think it might be one of his best, if not my personal favorite, in his catalog. So here we go.
Yeah, I mean, you can certainly see the Wii Sports uh, predecessor here in the Wave Race 64 title theme. I mean, uh, this track is, like, if you've played the game, you can already just picture the opening cutscene of of uh, the, the jet ski in the water with the dolphins going around. It just picks you, takes you straight back there. For me, Wave Race was a massive uh, rental game as a kid. I didn't own it until many years later when I bought a... I think a cartridge for like five or ten bucks at a cash converters or something along those lines. And so to me, it's I can just picture Friday nights after school renting it from Blockbuster or Video Easy and then going home and playing it all weekend. Uh, I think it does a great job of capturing just summertime, sporty, fun vibes, which is what the game's about. It captures its time period very well, being the, the you know sort of late '90s when it would have come out, um, or mid '90s, and just is just such a fantastic song to listen to just on its own. To be honest with you, some people might know the band uh, Owl City. They did a, a cover of it during some of their tours, uh, which you can find very shaky video footage of online if you if you look it up. Owl City, who did. Um, Fireflies, and um, they did that song in Wreck-It Ralph as well, so obviously big gamers to an extent. But uh, yeah, I, I just think, you know, Wave Race, it's not a game you expect to have good music necessarily. It, you know, the box art makes it look like a pretty generic sports game, um, which those who have played it know it's not. And I think the music is just a highlight of that Nintendo 64 game. It is why I think it, for those who have played it, it is such a classic of that system. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't played it myself, but it really does evoke just the Nintendo 64 feel. Like, I, there's parts of it that reminds me of Pilot Wing 64. There's parts, even parts of it that sort of reminds me of F Zero, even though the F Zero has a very different track that's much more futuristic, heavy rock track. But there's just, there's just parts of it that just makes me think back to that late 90s, early 2000s period where. You rent, as you mentioned, you rented all these 64 games. You might have played it for the weekend, and you just enjoyed playing it with friends or siblings or whoever you might have had around the house. And it's weird that it's just part of nostalgia. That there's always going to be songs that are able to just evoke memories broader than what I guess the sum of its parts. It evokes memories that are broader than Wave Race 64 itself. And I think, it, thanks, oh, I really enjoyed listening to that because oh, I've heard it a few times, but. Having never played it, I, I've never really sat down and listened to it, and I really enjoy that one. That, that was great. So I'm a bit of a baby here. I never got really much time with the original Wave Race 64, but I've played the living heck out of Wave Race Blue Storm for the GameCube uh, back in the day. Mostly because I didn't have an Nintendo 64, but I did have a GameCube. But you know, even coming at this with zero nostalgia, though a, a huge burning desire to actually play the game at some point, it, it almost feels like home. I don't know if it's the the way that like the Nintendo 64 instrumentation is, is kind of a bit, um, it feels a bit muted, but it, it's got this surprising amount of warmth to it. The synth that's sort of in the acting as like the backing choir, I guess, just feels so ripped out of the 80s. Like I, I could just picture this as like a, you're, you know, you're lounging on the beach whilst you're watching the, the waves and the, and the jet skis go over and it just sort of you know, puts me into a very specific uh, mood and a very specific uh, time and place that I think it's, it really wants to, to put me in for the, for the game, and I think it, it does a really good job of doing that. 
when we said we're doing title music, this was the first track that came to mind, uh, even beyond, like, again, some of those industry behemoths. And I just knew I had to present it because uh, I think it's just, it nails the brief of what a title theme needs to do in terms of explaining and selling the game to people and just evoking the emotions it's meant to evoke. So that's that's why it's here. <laughs> Something else that I think this track does in particular really well is I feel like to be a really good title theme, you need to have a hook because most of the time when you listen to a title theme, you're only ever going to hear the first, if you're just mashing through to get through to the game, you know, you've played it, this is your hundredth time playing it or whatever. You're only going to hear the four or five seconds it takes for the game to register your press start input before it, it, it skips on. In order for a title theme to really be great, I feel like it needs to be able to do what it does within the very first part of the song. And I think Wave Race 64 does a really good job of it, that it gets straight into the 80s synth, straight into those, like, was like bell-like synth chimes. Mm. And, you know, that's... The rest of the song is fantastic, but in terms of getting me set into that mindset, that's all I need to hear. I'm already there. Yeah, well, one other thing, I hadn't really thought about it in deep detail until now, but it's 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 got to be intentional. The way the song opens with that, you know, initial couple of bell chimes and then like a da-da-da, and then it like kicks off into the main guitar rift, I suppose. It's almost evoking, you know, how a race goes. It's that initial like, you're sitting there on your, your wave rate or what do they call it? I don't know, uh, jet ski floating in the water. You're getting like a, a three, two, one, diddle it, and then go. And then like that's the race starts. And that's kind of almost when the, the guitar kicks in. It's what it sort of feels like it's trying to trying to tell me. Um, again, don't know if it's a coincidence or intentional. I've got to assume intentional, again, given the, the caliber of the composer and the other tracks they've done throughout history. But yeah, it's fantastic. I can see that working, especially with the instruments chosen as well. Like uh, you, you know, those bells are kind of small and it's still impactful, but they sort of feel like they're built, they're creeping into something, and that synth just comes in as like the start, and then you just have this nice gliding guitar as you're sort of surfing across the waves. I can definitely see the see it in my mind that now that you've brought that up. Uh, and just as a quick aside, like it is really hard to make a guitar sound that good in any kind of MIDI format. Like, MIDI guitars are yep. really unwieldy, and Wave Race 64 is used really well. For sure. And one very random, but, well, we've got, you know, an audience of some kind. Wave Race 64, one of the few games that Kazumi Totaka has worked on where, as of today, we have there has been no sighting or, or sounding of the uh, infamous uh, Totaka's song, which he's hidden seemingly in almost every game but this is one of of a handful that hasn't been found so if you're if you're ever just bored or you like easter egg hunting <laughs> crack open a copy of wave Race 64 and see if you can be the one to to find it certainly you don't need a reason to play wave uh play the game uh, but if you want one there there you go <laughs> uh is has wave Race 64 come onto the uh switch expansion pack virtual console it hasn't uh i would be shocked if it doesn't because uh, so like interesting couple of very small interesting bits of note the game originally sponsored by kawasaki and has kawasaki branding uh throughout it but 
they did remove that for the Wii version and actually replaced it with Wii and Nintendo DS logos. So they do have ROMs available that have been modified, kind of like a, you know, punch out to punch out featuring Mr. Dream kind of situation. Uh, so I would say it's inevitably going to show up given it's a first party title. We'll see if the Nintendo 64 emulators learn how to properly emulate fog by then, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because there are some foggy uh, foggy tracks, if I recall, on this one. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, Brendan, do you want to hit us up with your first non-2021 title theme? Oh, this will be my pleasure because this this is the track that I instantly thought about when we discussed our topic for tonight's episode and that we were doing title themes. This is one that really just... It means a lot to me and I, I really enjoy it and I think John shares some of the feelings about it that I do because I think we have discussed it in the past. So hopefully this wasn't one of his picks as well, but uh, we'll see. There's a non-zero chance that is my pick, yes. That's all right, I've got backups. <laughs> all right, let's hit that jukebox. Come on, come on. Yeah, let's go! <laughs> this was indeed my other pick.
The song that you all just listened to was the main theme of Xenoblade Chronicles by Yoko Shinomura, and actually, I'm pretty sure it's the only track Yoko Shinomura composed for Xenoblade Chronicles. She did do others, but she didn't do many others. I think she definitely did Colony 9 at the very least. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, definitely one of the main songs that people think about when you talk about Xenoblade Chronicles soundtrack, and this soundtrack means a a lot to me in many ways because it's just one of the first video game OSTs that really I found I just found really compelling. Even though it took me many years, I did I didn't complete the game until um, last year with the definitive edition. Even though I had it on the Wii and I played about 20, 30 hours of it, but just when I got the definitive edition last year and I put it in my Switch and pressed play and uh, the title screen came up, I just had that moment of just watching the title screen and listening to the music because the title screen is the Monado, the, the the main one of the main plot devices of Xenoblade. It's just it's in it's in a field, it's it's been planted into the ground and you can just see the wind move the planes around the around the blade and this is the track that plays and it's it's a powerful track. It really it evokes melancholy, it really makes you reflect and just think and I listen to it this to this day because, as I said, I, I bought the soundtrack. I have it on my on my iPhone, ready to go all the time, and it's a stunning piece of composition. I just love the the piano track, how it builds with the strings. First, you just have that lone violin, and then you get it. It really builds up towards the middle and back third of the song until it just goes back to that 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 more simple, elegant closing of it. It's, it's a really magical track, and I think it really is my favourite title theme. And there was a few others I was thinking about including because I think it's a bit of a trope at the moment, considering how many times I discussed Xenoblade on this podcast. But I really couldn't leave it out. If you weren't going to bring it, I was going to bring it. Literally, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm good. I've got a backup lot lined up. We're all good. But uh, this is unquestionably my favourite title theme of all time. It's one of my favorite pieces of video game music ever made. I love this game. I love this song. Every time I hear it, it just has that pull. Um, it just drags me into... I don't even know if it drags me into the world or if it just drags me along with it into the music. Uh, yeah, to sort of echo what you said there, Tam, um, I especially love how it, the build, it all builds up. It's a very slow build as it layers in additional instruments, uh, switches which instrument is playing the melody. You know, you'll have the piano at the start and that sort of fades into the background and then it comes back into the same melody, but the song has gone past that. That's now the accompaniment to the, the swelling strings and, and the like. And just it all crescendos into this this final beat and then... And, continues down uh it, it, it doesn't it's not content to leave you at the top it lets you down as well and, and gets ready to, to sort of repeat it doesn't even though it's sort of its own self-contained song it doesn't forget that it is a song that needs to loop necessity of it being a title theme it's just it's just perfect yeah i mean so for me, uh, Xenoblade, I have famously said I've never finished it, but I've started it three times. 
But luckily, this is the title themes episode, so I have heard this a good amount. And yeah, I think I even remember the first time on my Wii with the original version of the game, just stopping and letting this play out, because just from those few notes at the start, you can already tell there's a lot of emotion behind the track, and uh, I'm sure if I finished the game, I would come to appreciate a lot of that emotion even more, but it again, it, it's a another timeless classic from what has got to be, again, one of the industry's most prolific composers, to say the least, uh, and perfectly captures the vibe. And that scene, as you said, Brendan, with just the Monado in the in the grassy plains, it just it's a melancholic scene and it's a melancholic track. So yeah, such a fantastic title theme. To sort of uh, jump in on that as well, do y'all have much uh, thoughts on the way that the actual title screen itself can help combine with the music? I think this is a really good example of. The music itself is is amazing, and oftentimes I've just got my eyes closed just so I can listen to the music. But I do really think that having the Monado just that on the peaceful field and just watching the night go from day to night really adds to what the music's trying to say. And is, is this something you've encountered with other games in, in the past? I probably haven't encountered it to the same degree as I have with Xenoblade because I guess, as you just alluded to, it very much, it intrigues you. It pulls you in the imagery they use. It really makes you think about what this game is going to be about that very first time you turn it on and that's what you see. And then if you think about it, that can also evolve every time you boot up the game during your playthrough. And as I've mentioned before, it's a very long game. It can take you 60 to 80 hours to complete. And just because it's it's an early plot device you encounter during the game, it's it's core to the story. And just seeing that in an empty field, none of the none of the main characters around, none of the other imagery of the game, it's just the Monado. It's just the sword. It, it evokes different images about the game. It, it, it's a compelling image. And I think I can't really think of any other game that I've been pulled into that degree because for a lot of games it generally is just a logo and and often it's a nice logo often there's some background to the logo as well and for the most part i wouldn't say it's there's generally anything compelling the closest is that on fire emblem gba that title screen it's not static it scrolls through every single different class in the game and gives you a brief description about each class so it's a bit more informative in that way so i think there are ways that title screens can be used to add different layers to the experience of the title screen than just being i guess a static logo that you press start or x or a or whatever console you're on and start the game that mentioning the gba is actually uh made me think of another example with the the pokemon series likes to do this a lot i think pretty much from gold and silver onwards when they started focusing on the legendary pokemon and you know these You'll have these shots of these big, uh, imposing angles of, of these these big Pokemon, and whilst you have the the usual uh, main theme blaring on in the black background, and uh, that they combine together to, to to make these Pokemon feel a lot more intimidating than uh, the 3D rendering capabilities of the DS is uh, able to provide. I feel. 
Yeah, I think for me, just thinking of other stuff that tries, I don't know, does a good job at evoking the vibes of the game. I, I mean, my mind goes to Final Fantasy, to be honest with you. Um, like Final Fantasy VII's main theme. I think similar to Xenoblade does a really good job at conveying the emotions you're going to go through on that journey. You know, I think it's, it's a really, uh, I don't know, easy is the right word. Actually, it's not, but... um. I know, for some reason, again, RPGs, JRPGs in particular, I find tend to have a higher rate of really just emotionally impactful music, probably because they typically try to tell a long emotional story and they, they understand the importance of those musical undertones or underscore, like, you know, underscoring the key, key scenes, particularly back in the, you know, early days on, on you know, NES, SNES, even 64 and PS1, um, well, we can there were no RPGs in the 64, so really just PS1. You know, to try and convey an emotion where the graphics aren't pulling it up to snuff. You know, we don't have voice acting. We don't have the the stuff we get in movies and anime and that kind of thing that to really carry over the, the feelings. The music does the heavy lifting, um, which is probably a big reasoning in why some of those RPG soundtracks and title themes just do a great job at painting the picture, I suppose. For sure. Um, but one of the things I've been experiencing a lot this year is uh, getting into visual novels. And there's a similar thing there where, you know, it's a lot of the experience is text and it is visuals, art, and it is the music. And so the music has to do a lot of the emotional heavy lifting um, to sort of help set the tone for, for the emotions that creator wants you to feel when you're uh, experiencing the game. And yeah, it's it's just so much more important when the soundtrack to a, a piece of media where the capacity for its actors of a, of a sense to express their emotions is, is somewhat capped it's just such a good song it's hard to encapsulate how good this song is honestly it, it really is it's it's in, if i had to make a list if i had to compose a list of sort of top five top ten video game tracks like it would be filled with xenoblade compositions and that one would be first amongst them it's just just taken as a whole for the entire soundtrack of that game like it it is such a strong soundtrack probably arguably one of the best um in recent memory i'd argue yeah if if i had to list like my top five title tracks this is number one no question i don't know what the other ones would be actually I'm, i'm bringing ones that i'm uh, I, I really like and I think can tell a point. I did forget Wii Sports existed. That's almost certainly on there. I, I can't express how much I like the Wii Sports theme. It's it's just perfect for what it wants to be. Well, throwing to you, John, what what is your second, well, third pick for tonight's episode for actually, title tracks? No, it was going to be Xenoblade. I guess I could make it Wii Sports, but no. Uh, just give me a second. I just want to... I've got two candidates here. I just want to play through them and make sure I pick the one I want.
So this track is the title theme to Crosscode, uh, again composed by Denis Akbulut. Probably butchered that, sorry mate. <laughs> <laughs> this one's a personal favourite of mine from uh, recent recent years. Uh, it's a sort of top-down action RPG uh, that very, very badly wants to be an SNES game. But it, it, it's part of that uh, indie developer taking uh, heavy inspiration from uh, the games of their childhood and, and sort of turning it into something new and, and something refreshing and a, a great experience. Um, I mostly bring it up because I feel like this track and, and the soundtrack in general definitely tries to borrow some, some sounds and, and, and some sort of uh, vibe through its, its visuals from that era to sort of help, uh, I guess, sort of prey on people's nostalgia, uh, but also sort of reflect and bask in it themselves. Uh, the tune itself is, is very slow and very calming. The, you've sort of got that nice piano and then the synth sort of uh, comes in and uh, helps, doesn't, never really takes over the melody, but it helps lift it up and, and, and helps it become, uh, g- gives it some extra texture and, and, and become more than just like a simple uh, track. But similar to Xenoblade, this is one that I'll sit down and just let play out, it's pretty short, uh, when I'm about to start up the game. And as it's a good, like, 20 hour game or so, so there's a decent amount of time where I'm just sort of. It's a track that, like the other ones I've brought, and like the ones we've listened to so far, it just helps me get situated in the world of the game and, and, and focus on what I'm about to do before I jump into it. And I think it really does a good job of, of situating me in the, in the world that I want to inhabit. I love the simple piano chords this song uses, and it very much is evoking those 8-bit, 16-bit JRPGs, so I definitely can see where the developer's going with that, the, the intent's clearly there, and you're right, it does similar things to what Shinomura did with the Xenoblade main theme, there's some of the, it's, I guess, not as epic as that song gets to, it, it doesn't be, it, it doesn't have that build-up as that theme song does and what makes that title theme really strong but it it doesn't need to I don't think it it does its own thing and it's a very effective piece of music I I really enjoy that there's some different elements like there's a simple bass at the heart of it but there's some complexities that go throughout and it does some neat things and you very much feel like, like we've been saying you feel that emotion and I think as Zach mentioned earlier and as we mentioned in our JRPG episode uh, the last episode we recorded of Blowing Cartridges, it, that, that's key to RPGs, that's key to JRPGs particularly, that sense of story, that sense of conveying emotion, that sense of getting buy-in from the very start, getting buy-in from the player the moment you boot the game up, just intriguing you, really enticing you to experience the game in its totality. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, one thing this does as well, which, you know, again, it's hard for me to comment because I haven't actually played CrossCode, despite a few people telling me I should. You should. <laughs> yeah, well, add that to the list. I, obviously, based on the, the, the cover art I'm looking at, it, it obviously has a bit of a futury, spacey, electronic-y kind of vibe, and you can sort of hear those, like, whoop-whoop-whoops, like, pretty early on, which I think helps separate it a bit from that, you know, more 
fantasy RPG like in Xenoblades and again uh, Final Fantasies and that kind of stuff that again sort of I assume will set the tone for what the um, the world is is like. Um, I don't know if that's a fair assessment, John, given you've actually played it. Yeah, I probably should have explained that. Hey, uh, Crosscode sort of it's set in a uh, futuristic MMO style game, so it's very it's like the game's trying to emulate tech that's less advanced than the world it inhabits, if that makes any sense. But it's it's very much got the world itself has a very much of a futuristic vibe, like light bridges and and like floating structures and and all that. Even if a, a lot of the game uh, tries to go for a more of like a ape for more primitive technology. But yeah, it, it, it you've you've hit the nail on the head. That's that's exactly the kind of environment that the the game is trying to get across, especially as as part of its sort of uh, the overarching environment that the, the game resides in. Yeah, which I think is again just shows you how good choice of instruments or or tones uh, in your um in your title theme can help convey what world you're building even from the the get-go for someone like me who again hasn't really seen much about the game at all uh, in terms of like gameplay or anything like that so uh, again I think probably a a good you know stamp of approval to the composer and I'm doing a great job here something else I'd, I'd like to touch on is Crosscode touches on, on, a, on a bit that you've seen with unpacking as well but sort of this this mixture of old and new music styles that that seem to be I, I seem to be seeing a lot in uh, especially sort of modern indie titles you see a lot of people using uh, chip tune and, and sometimes literally old uh, console instrument hardware in sort of new and exciting ways sometimes they're layering on new music and, and, and the like and do you think that there's uh, you know uh, what kind of value is there in sort of looking back into the, the past of game music and, and the past of uh, what these um, old machines can do and, and seeing what we can do to sort of layer on our own touches? I think it's a powerful tool because if you look at a game, I haven't played it like Zach, but if you look at a game like Cross Code, if you look about, if you look at a lot of those RPG, like indie modern indie RPG homages to... 8-bit and 16-bit games, the the conceit at the beginning of those existence of those games, it, it is trying to tap into people's nostalgia, or, or generally the developer's own nostalgia about what made those games so meaningful to them. Like they're making a game in tw- like let's say 2021 or the mid-2010s or, or CrossCode was more recent than that, but they're making a game in their modern period, but they want, they're influenced by something from the past and they want to convey that in every part of the game like they'll do that from a graphical point of view often the gameplay systems harken back to what some of those games did in the past and I think the music is an integral part of that and I think it is it's good to see that they are willing to experiment with old technologies they're willing to put a new spin on it and I won't say that experimental music in video games is only in the domain of indie games because the first track we heard this episode was that WarioWare one, and that does a lot of interesting things as we discussed. But <laughs> I think there definitely is an argument to be made that there is a lot more 
willingness and openness to be experimental whilst maintaining a level of simplicity in a lot of the tunes because of a generally from a budget point of view and just resources and the like but just because some of these melodies and tracks are a bit more simple than your let's say your triple a big publisher games they still have a willingness to innovate and do experimental things and push boundaries and i think that's what we saw in the unpacking track we saw that a bit in terraria though i'd argue terraria is a bit different because that's from that sort of very early indie dev days where i think they were still trying to find the identity of indie music but i think crosscode really is an example of that style it's a it's a particular style i'd say that as you rightly say john that modern indie sound i think there's elements that make it a unique genre of game music yeah, and just to, I mean, round that off, I mean, I think it's great that we have recognised that the sounds those, you know, old machines uh, made, which many of the developers and composers at the time were probably like, well, I can't actually record a piano or a, you know, violin or a guitar, so I'm just going to make some bleeps and bloops sound as close as I can, and that'll do. Um, but, like, those sounds are unique, and you know, have a place in the creation of music, yeah, even, you know, outside of games with, with just chiptune artists who do just chiptune separate to games completely. Um, so I think it's great to see that and knowing when is a good fit for it, you know, obviously if it fits with the art style, um, and, you know, like Shovel Knight to me is a massive example of a, a fantastic modern, modern retro kind of vibe um, in Such terms a of a soundtrack. So it, good. Yeah, and uh, and you know Undertale and Deltarune as well. I think also mm-hmm. fantastic. If uh, you know, if we weren't doing um, title themes, I would have brought uh, the Spamton theme from from Deltarune Chapter Two this year for sure. So you know, check that out. There's a, there's a uh, if you if you haven't already. Um, that was also the reason why I didn't bring Deltarune. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if we were doing title <laughs> themes, I probably would have. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I think. Uh, it, it's good because I think, you know, just in music in general, we, we don't need to be limited to the classical instrument. It's great to see electronic uh, and sort of, you know, other types of music and sounds get used more as we try and, I guess, broaden this medium that's been going on for literally like, you know, the hundreds of thousands of years, um, probably since the dawn of time with like a, I don't know, rock and a stick or something. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's it's great. All right, Zach, uh, your lucky last pick. What what did you pick for your third choice tonight? Yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll give a bit of preamble and then we'll jump into it. Uh, so I was going to bring this last year. It was definitely up there as my second pick for my 2020 song. Um, and while it does kind of share a bit of vibes with my first two picks, uh, which I was sort of debating, do I want to go something very different or do I just stick to the theme? Given this is a title theme, I just figured, you know, I'm going to stick to the theme. And and again, it does sort of continue on the trend of what I've set up with the first two. So uh, I'll leave it at that and I'll, uh, I'll link it, link it now.
Yes, so uh, I have brought the uh, title theme or main theme to Moving Out, which, uh, yep, another Australian indie game about moving houses. Uh, <laughs> I swear why there, why there are two of those, I don't know, <laughs> and why I brought both of them. Uh, it must be just, you know, they've hit my niche of things I like. Um, but also another track that has massive 80s, 90s vibes with, with heavy synth. Yeah, when I remember when I booted up Moving Out last year when it released uh, and heard this, my first comment was like, damn, that is a good song. And second song uh, comment was, is it already online somewhere for me to like save and listen to later, which luckily it was. Uh, so this is an interesting one because the song, this is composed by Danny Hay, who uh, is a in-house uh composer uh or music uh it does i think he does a few things um but sound designer at team 17 who were the publisher of moving out and uh you probably know for like the worm series and and a few other things the escapists and this is actually his only track in the game which is interesting because if you there's a really good ign article about the moving out soundtrack the rest of the Moving Out soundtrack was largely done by a gentleman called Lenny, and I'm going to butcher this, um, Maculuso. And it might not be a name that many people know, but he wrote uh, and composed for uh, a number of artists in the 80s, um, and probably most famously a song called The Touch by Stan Bush, which released <laughs> in 1986. He, he wrote that. Uh, and when they were just trying to find trailer music for uh, Moving Out's like debut trailer, they loved the touch. They reached out to try and get it included uh, as the trailer music, but um, the cost was just too, you know, exorbitant to do. But what they managed to get in touch with Lenny, and he actually had a bunch of tracks that he had written and sort of done a little bit with back at the same time in the in the 80s that were unused and never got picked up by artists. Uh, and those had been taken and repurposed for the rest of the soundtrack. So uh, the reason the soundtrack has a very 80s vibe is because the majority of it was literally written in the 80s and has just been put, put into the game, which is fantastic. Oh my god. I knew that it had, like, they got a composer in, but I just thought he made new stuff and that was actually from the 80s. Yeah, That's it's amazing. so good. Definitely recommend uh looking at our ign article it's called moving out and grooving out by uh tristan ogilvy uh was the was the uh, author of the article just give it a google um or maybe brendan will put it in the show notes but weirdly enough and i i've only found this out when getting ready for this episode this is the, probably the one track that's not done by him um and instead is done by danny hay uh, and to be fair you know he has done a great job at actually emulating that 80s vibe to match with these other songs the other 16 tracks in the game that are as i said basically authentic 80s songs just released for the first time ever which is fantastic and uh, you know i think really impressive um i mean again if you look at the comments uh, not that there's a ton because it's it's a probably uh well a successful game probably not to the same level as your age vampires and uh the like um or xenoblades uh a lot of people had the same first in, uh, instinct as me, which as soon as they heard this, they were like, let me pause the game and see if this is on Spotify or Apple Music or anything. And uh, a few disappointed people who bought the soundtrack only to find out because this is the one song not composed by 
by Lenny. Uh, it's actually not included in the in the paid version of the soundtrack, which is a travesty. Because <laughs> oh no, yeah. But uh, again, luckily, uh, Danny has included it on YouTube on his own personal YouTube channel. Um, yeah, YouTube channel. And interestingly, because I was again just in researching it, I saw he's now been uh, moving away from T- Team Seventeen this this month and going over to Sony to PlayStation to be a um, uh, sound designer or producer there. So um, sounds like he's moving moving on up in the world, which is very very good to see. Um, Doing some moving out himself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But what do you guys think? I don't know if either of you have played Moving Out. If you've heard the song before. No, I, I went in completely blind listening to that. I've, I've definitely heard of Moving Out, of course. I've always been a follower of Team 17 from the Worms days. Not that I've played a lot of their output recently, but you're right. I just love the synth track on offer there. Just that feel of the 80s and you telling me the background of that soundtrack and that it is 80s music. I think uh, Donny Hay really encapsulated that feel, the spirit of the 80s, the spirit of that sort of synth rock new wave motifs and melodies and just the instruments and the like. I think it's great. It really feels like it's from the era itself. So I think it absolutely really encapsulates the spirit of what they were trying to achieve. And I think I'm going to go and listen to this soundtrack now and I'll probably try to play the game as well, but I'll definitely listen to the soundtrack because it's every, it's so groovy. It's, I really like it. So this is one that I've played. Um, uh, the unfortunate thing about co-op games uh, coming out during uh, what was a very uh, isolating uh, time for myself during lockdown and the like makes it means I haven't been able to play as much as I'd like to, but um, definitely play it. It's good, really good fun. Uh, and the s- soundtrack I have on um, pretty heavy rotation because I'm a sucker for 80s. That sound. I like the story behind this because it tells you that, you know, sometimes you can look into music and you can look into how this piece was crafted in X way to evoke Y feelings, to make, to enhance Z, a gameplay elements. And sometimes you just find a banger and you slap it into the soundtrack and it's just good. And the moving out definitely uh, tries to capture a bit of that sort of eighties, nineties, um, spirit especially in the intro where they've got the 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 training video tutorial um part sort of sort of captures that vibe as well but yeah sometimes you just you just get a banger and you just put it on a on a on a incredibly chaotic party game and it just works like uh butter and butter and bread (laughs) you're right you don't always need to have the game and song composed or made together, right? This is a is it a good example, and obviously you can look at a lot of licensed soundtracks that are phenomenal. Obviously, like the Tony Hawk games are a great example, where sometimes it's just it goes together because it goes together, even though they were written sort of independently uh, originally. Um, but yeah, you know, again, this to me that song left such a strong impression always makes me excited when I boot up the game to give it a play game while well, published by team 17 developed by SMG studio who uh, have Sydney and Melbourne, I believe offices, but this particular game I think was mostly developed in the Melbourne one. So very, very close to home. Um, and I'm sure anyone that's been to PAX had probably seen it a number of times over the, over the years. Yes. And, uh, 
Just a quick plug, uh, if you go on YouTube, there's an interview with me and one of the SMG guys talking about Death Squared back in the day from Here is a Play, so check that out. That is another really good game. Yeah, I love love Death Squared. I've got the uh, the four cubes plushies actually sitting behind me. So not that I, uh, not no bias here, but I'm a massive fan of the studio. So yeah, glad to spotlight one of the tracks uh, to... I, you know, one of their best games, I'd say, and definitely recommend if you haven't played it, boot it up with a with a friend. If now that you can meet up together in the same room potentially, um, and, and give it a whirl. But anyway, Brendan, do you want to finish us off? You can't steal anyone else's pick this time for your last <laughs> one because uh, there's no none left to steal. So what do you uh, what do you want to bring us? Well, I'm down to three. I actually have three choices, so I probably should have let John pick Xenoblade in the end but nonetheless we move on we move on so I'm about to hit play on the jukebox as I keep on saying even though there is no jukebox it's all digital of course we're not in the jukebox same room. Jukebox of the mind. Exactly jukebox of the mind and this is one that uh, I think it's probably a bit cliched to choose it it's one that everyone thinks about when they think about video game music but I think that's the right re- and we alluded to it earlier in the episode but I think that's why I'm going to pick it because I think it's worth discussing just how momentous it is, and I'm sure you guys can guess it, but here is the link. Enjoy.
So what I chose, of course, is the main theme of Halo Combat Evolved, which I think in itself is a landmark game. But if we're talking about the soundtrack itself, which was composed by Marty O'Donnell, who I guess became a bit gained some notoriety in recent years because he's been suing Bungie over a massive fallout they had in relation to Destiny and that soundtrack. But uh, I digress, that's a completely different topic. But if we think about Halo and what Halo's soundtrack did, and particularly this piece of music, it really... I guess I don't want to be dismissive of all the video game music that came before this because there's some absolute masterpieces there. Like we think about classic Nintendo and the Sega and the like, but I'd argue this is the track that really, I guess, legitimised video game music in the popular imagination. This is the soundtrack and this track particular that showed that video game composers were on that same level as, let's say, film composers and TV composers and that games themselves, and I'd argue this strongly today, that they offer a lot more versatility for composers to compose music than films and TV shows and the like because there's that interactivity element there's I guess more scope there's there's more parts of the game it's not just a hour and a half two hour experience two and a half hour experience it's longer so you can cram more music in there you can do more things with music and I think this was really the first soundtrack that showed the way that you can have an orchestra like sound coming out of video games you can have that epic feel you can really build momentum and it's absolutely a classic and it deserves to be a classic in my mind yeah i mean uh there's a reason i've said the halo theme a few times tonight it's so weird because it 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 hits the category for me of games i haven't played a ton of like i've played a lot of multiplayer but i haven't actually finished the campaign to halo or pretty much any of them uh to be honest with you but god i love this song and i will listen to it every few months on on youtube uh and it's it's uh, various editions up to usually again halo 3 it is just so iconic definitely up there in rivaling your your old some of the the earlier 80s originated title themes like your marios and your zeldas that are also very iconic but obviously coming out much much later and you know it, as you said it sort of pierced the out of games right like there's those you know youtube videos of like high school sports teams uh you know just chanting yes. in the locker room and that kind of stuff and a heap of stuff like that because it is just so so good i think the vocal parts just are fantastic and i think really resonate with with anyone and getting them hype and then just as it goes into that sort of um i don't know sort of drummy sort of bit yeah it's uh i love it <laughs> love it <laughs> something that i find really interesting with big long-running franchises is that oftentimes you'll find that the the fur the the big song that comes from them you know, most franchises will have at least one big song doesn't always come from the first game you know you look at mario the themes from super mario brothers are iconic and and you know, some, some incredibly well-crafted tunes, but you know, Donkey Kong and, and Mario Brothers and, and all that get reference, and but they're not. I wouldn't say they're necessarily like songs that I I, I, I think of when I immediately think of, of Mario and the you know, same mm. with, with some other series and the like. But Halo, Halo got it out of the, Halo knocked it out of the park first try. 
does is the song so imprinted in our minds because Halo was as groundbreaking as it was? Is in some way Halo lifted up because the song is so iconic? You know, it's it, it's hard to it's hard to say uh, really, but the two just sort of build up upon each other, and, and because the song is so good and, and, and because of the connotations behind it, they sort of create this. This, this mythos, this, this legacy that um, independently they mightn't have been able to reach. I think you're spot on, and just to go back to what Zach said as well, I think that moment, that it sort of it instantly, it, well, not instantly, but it entered pop culture as a, particularly this theme, like you had choirs and sporting teams and orchestras doing it, and I'd argue you really didn't have that same phenomenon until, like, a Skyrim, that you saw a similar reaction to the Skyrim soundtrack. Mm. And I think Skyrim soundtrack does a lot of similar things that the original Halo Combat Evolved soundtrack did. Like, it, it hits those notes. It, it just has that weight. It, it feels historic. It feels epic. And I, I, that's what it really manages to do. And people always compare it to sort of, like, a Hans Zimmer film score. And... There's similar motifs there and similar design there. And I think you're right, uh, John, that it, it was a mix of just this epic weight of the soundtrack as well as the game itself, which when it came out, it was a groundbreaking game in terms of the FPS genre. It really, in many ways, defined the growth and development of the genre for the early 2000s. And it wasn't until arguably Call of Duty Modern Warfare that I guess it was supplanted as there was a new, I guess, model that very much influenced games in that genre and I think it, 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 it was an interplay between the game itself and the or the music was a part of the game it, it's an integral part of the game and I think without it I don't think it would have had as, it, it still would have had weight because I think the gameplay sound but it really elevated it to an all time classic and it, it's a game that people still talk about to this day it's a game that people really wanted to play in the Master Chief collection when they remastered them and uh it's one that people still uh, still play to this day, and I have fond memories of playing it during high school. Someone put it on the school's intranet, so it was all available on every computer, and there was uh, always classes that were in computer labs or that people would boot it up if there was spare time and play it, or I had a group of friends, and until we got shut down by one of the IT teachers, we used <laughs> to sneak into IT labs during lunch and just play Halo, and there's just many fond memories I have of it, and the music and this theme in particular it always evokes those memories for me and i think that's doubly why i enjoy the that firstly it just has that iconic weight to it and secondly there's personal memories that go along with it touching upon my earlier points and looking at how title themes sort of need to have that hook that that that, that starting impact to to sort of set the scene the Halo theme may have the strongest hook of any video game song I can think of off the top of my vaguely sleep-deprived head. Just that. <laughs> it, all they need are those voices, uh, and they've created yeah. this sound that you is just... It sets the scene, but it also sets you into Halo. It, it is the Halo sound. And, you know, you, you look at that in yeah, any trailers for Halo. Um, the one that springs to mind for me is the Master Chief trailer for uh, the skin in Fortnite. Because uh, they sort of... <laughs> the first thing you hear... The first hint that it is a, anything to do with Halo 
is you hear the chanting as sort of like a slow reveal type thing. And uh, I, I had some vague dreams that if, if by some stroke of luck Master Chief ever made it to Smash, they'd do a similar thing where trailers, they keep you guessing, when they keep you guessing as to who it is and you just hear that chant and it just instantly clicks in your head. It's just, you're there. Yeah, there's something about chanting because, I mean, like, it kind of like links into what you were saying, Brendan, before with the Skyrim theme. It's just something about chanting really <laughs> resonates with people. Um, maybe it's just the emotions. I mean, even like I think about before Halo, back again before Xbox, PS2, GameCube, uh, on the 64, the song, one of the songs that resonated the most with me on um, the 64 was the Temple of Time, which has obviously fake MIDI <laughs> chanting. But, you know, this takes it to that next level with, well, I don't know. I don't think it's real. Maybe it is real. I don't, I don't know if it was recorded or not, to be, to be completely frank, for, for that time period. But um, certainly more realistic sounding if it is an actual people. And that, I, I think just that human emotion in the chanting is, I don't know, it just that pulls you in. And as you said, John, that's so iconic. And immediately, as soon as you hear that first like part of it, you know it's Halo. Like Almost anyone would pick it. It's, it's great. <laughs> Oh, and I think you're, um, just to quickly tangent, I think you're 100% correct on the chanting because there's a whole, um, oh, I won't call it subculture, but there's a lot that's been written about Gregorian chants as a whole and sort of the emotional impact of Gregorian chants. And I think those, like this and also the Skyrim music really proves that, that there's, there's just something innate and primal about Gregorian chants for some reason that is quite remarkable and it's always compelling and, you even saw some chanting in that Age of Empires 4 track as well that mm. I found very enjoyable. So I think you're 100% correct that there's just something about Gregorian chants and chanting that I, it just evokes something inside of us, I think, and it's it's an interesting phenomenon. Another uh, humble contribution to the whole of chanting is the uh, modern uh, reboot of God of War. That has some really good chanting in it. Mm. And when I think of AAA games, no, you know, the modern era that the soundtrack's really stick out to me. God of War's right up there front and centre. Hoping Ragnarok has some, some good chanting too. Gotta love a good chant. Just quickly, before we potentially wrap it up, I mean, I don't know if either of you caught it, but for the uh, Halo 20th anniversary event, they actually got the Sydney Youth Orchestra to do a, a rendition of the uh, of the Halo theme, which I'll link to you guys now. Very, very good uh, and very cool because it uh, incorporates uh, some good old didgeridoo action. Awesome. And it's also weird because it's like, I don't know, seeing these teens playing it, it's just funny because they, and then you think 20 years and it's like, man, like these kids were maybe just born when, <laughs> when Halo came out. I wonder if any of them e- even know like what the song is at this point or if they're just like, um, you know, it's no different to playing like a classical music piece that they get, you know, handed anyway, <laughs> any other day of the week. It's just composed by someone they've never heard of and they're just doing a job, but um. Yeah, definitely, you know, to the audience, um, if you haven't seen it, uh, worth having a look. I did not know that I needed to hear a didgeridoo played on top of a Halo theme until just now. That's that's <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, I'll interlace that version under what we're talking about at the moment and include in the show notes. Awesome. And with that, I think we'll call it quits and we'll take the imaginary vinyl record off the jukebox and because uh, we don't have a cartridge this week. It's actually a vinyl record and uh, <laughs> put it away and uh, we'll shelve it until the next music episode that we do. And I think it's becoming a bit of a tradition we've established. So we'll definitely get John back on 
in 2022 to discuss another topic that relates to video game music. So I'd just like to thank you once again, John, for joining us tonight to discuss a fantastic topic. No problems. Thanks for having me. It's always good to to discuss music of the, the past and present with y'all. And uh, yeah, have a very happy holidays, everyone. Yeah, looking forward to next time. And if people want to find you, I believe you are on Twitter. Uh, where can they find you? You can find me at Aura Paladin on Twitter. I mostly complain about what I'm doing in Final Fantasy XIV at the moment. Um, I'm also putting <laughs> together a music quiz of the game music of 2021 uh, as, as per last year. So that'll be up there uh, when that's finished, hopefully early in the year. Excellent. We'll definitely link it in the show notes. And uh, Zach, uh, as always, where can people find our podcast? Yep, uh, you can obviously uh, email us at blowingcartridge at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and other social media at blowcartpod. And of course, if you want to find me directly, I am at Egarino on Twitter and Brendan is at Tamazoid. So, you know, feel free to start. You've got a year's warning now. Tell us what type of music do you want us to do next? Do you want us to do credits do you want us to do you know level music like level one one music or like mid-game music um do you want us to do like uh, menu music there's a lot of ways we can go with this um so keen to hear people's thoughts on what they want to hear want to hear next is uh, our next theme and as always if you enjoyed our episode and you enjoy the podcast please leave a five-star review on apple podcast or any podcasting services because Reviews really do help us get some additional visibility and we occasionally chart on Apple Podcast charts, which I don't really understand how that works, but at one point we were in the top 100 in Australia and that was a lot of fun. So support the podcast and thank you as always for listening to us. I am going to add a bonus track at the end of this episode because I could not fit it into my choices and since I edit, I get veto powers. So how (laughs) great is that? Isn't that right, Zach? Yep, fantastic. Is it the Buck Bumble theme? <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, that is a title theme! No! <laughs> <laughs> that is the title theme. Uh, funny. <laughs>